It's Monday, March 26th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Semmerman, and this is episode 154 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thanks for joining us for another conversation uh, between myself and today a rather exceptional musician about music, creativity, productivity, uh, and today uh, about the very particular neighborhood that uh, I live in. Today on the show, bassoonist and artistic director for the International Contemporary Ensemble, Rebecca Heller is with us. Let's have a listen. She's fucking awesome, and today's a good show. Today on the show, my neighbor, Rebecca Heller. Before we get into it, uh, I want to follow up on something I mentioned, or two things, rather, I mentioned last week. May 28th. That's going to be the first live podcast uh, in the series. It's happening at the Arete venue in, in Brooklyn, 67 West Street, May 28th. As I mentioned last week, sign up for the 5049 mailing list. Go to the website, uh, go to the contact page, and sign up for the mailing list. This week, I'm sending out a newsletter with a lot of stuff in it, including some free music. Um, and I'm going to have more information there on the series. Uh, the first four ser- uh, uh, events in the live 5049 series um, are booked. It's going to be Zena Parkins uh, doing one. Ben Goldberg, Peter Evans with the new band is going to be doing one. Uh, my friend Toby Driver, who you guys know from KO Dot, he's going to be doing one. At all of these, these musicians are going to present a set of music uh, a live concert, and then afterwards we're going to have a conversation. Uh, all of this will be taped for future episodes of the podcast. So these will be live tapings of the podcast. I think it'll be fun. We'll try it out. The venue we're doing it at um, is really nice. It's it's small, it's intimate, it's clean. There's a nice piano. I- I'm excited about it. So May 28th, that's the first event. As I just mentioned, I'll be sending out a newsletter with 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 more details, as well as uh, some details about stuff that I have coming up, um, a tour, uh, some new records. So do that. Sign up for the mailing list, and then you know this week I'm going to be sending out a bunch of information on on all of these things. Okay, Rebecca Heller, she's a friend, um, and when I say she's a neighbor, she lives in the building right next door to me, uh, and and you know. After taping 150-some-odd episodes of this podcast, you know, if you ask anyone who's come over my place before, uh, it's a very particular part of, of Lower Manhattan. It's very strange. I describe it as, like, Sesame Street. The cast of characters that lives around here is uh, pretty hilarious. It's a lot of elderly people. It's a lot of Orthodox Jews. It's a lot of experimental musicians, weirdly enough. Um, it's just a really strange cross-section of people. So when I talk to someone like Rebecca, who I see several times a week, because, again, she lives right next door to me, um, you know, there's, there's sort of a funny, weird shorthand. You know, this is a very strange neighborhood. Rebecca uh, is 
just a fucking amazing bassoonist. I, I really, you know, she just put out this new record. It's a solo record. And you have to forgive me um, if I'm mispronouncing the title of the record because I really don't want to mispronounce uh, the title of this record. For those of you uh, not that familiar with with uh, the dictionary of classical instruments and, and the different names for these instruments in different languages, Rebecca plays the bassoon. And in Italian, the way you say bassoon is fagotto. In Spanish, you say uh, fagot. Um, so the name of the record is Metafagot. It's an amazing record. Uh, uh, all solo pieces uh, for bassoon written by different composers like um, Philippe Lara and, and, and Jason Eckert. It, all with electronics. And it's one of the best solo records I've heard in, in quite a while. Uh, it's it's exceptional. It's beautifully recorded. All of the pieces are super complex and interesting. The performance is just like through the roof. It's really exciting music. Her new record, Metafagot, is just on the highest level. Um, I, I really, really love this record a lot. As I mentioned, she's also uh, recently stepped into a new role. She's been with the International Contemporary Ensemble for many years, and uh, she is now the artistic director, and we talk a bit about that. We talk about that transition and, and what she sees uh, for, the, for, for, for the ensemble. And I'm putting this uh, episode up today because on April 3rd, next week, she is going to be playing a very special concert in Brooklyn, at my favorite venue, my favorite venue uh, to play and to, and to listen, Roulette. It's a concert, it's a record release party for my dear friend Mario Diaz de Leon. He put out this amazing record uh, called Sanctuary. It came out, I think, just a couple months ago. And they're doing a record release party, and as a special um, uh, 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 part of the concert, Rebecca is going to perform a new solo piece by Mario. Now, I've heard the recording. You know, it's not officially out yet. I I'm telling you, it's insane. You guys know I love Mario. Now you know I love Rebecca. Uh, just the best. April 3rd, Roulette, 8 p.m. This is a Tuesday. Get there. It's going to be just a, a night of complete fire music. And uh, if you want to find out more about Rebecca you're going to want to go to her website. And that's RebeccaHeller.com. That's R-E-B-E-K-A-H-H-E-L-L-E-R.com. Rebecca Heller. Check her out. Super busy, exceptional musician, and, and as you'll hear in just a minute, uh, a really fun person to talk to. That's it. Go to the 5049 website. Sign up for the mailing list. Please. Uh, and, and, you know, thank you to everyone who has been supporting on Patreon. Thank you to everyone who's taken the time to, to write reviews, all of that. It means a lot. Okay, that's it. Let's talk to Rebecca Heller. But just because the piece that they're yes. doing doesn't have bassoon? Honest piece, yeah. Here. It's like a piece. She should revise the piece because that's bullshit. I, mean, I would <laughs> like anytime there's like an awesome gig, there should be bassoon on it. So I've been listening to some of your podcast. Uh -huh. Maybe I should wait till we're on the air to, yeah. to say this. Um, your voice, you have a very nice radio no, voice. No, 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 no. Rod actually walked in, walked in on me listening to your podcast, and he was like, "Oh, Jeremiah's got a great 
That's not true. It's so true. I can't, I mean, I've gotten more comfortable with it. Like, I don't know if as a musician, you, do you know the trumpet player, Steve Bernstein? Uh, I don't think so. He's a great uh, jazz player. You know, he's kind of all over the place. He, I heard him say once that uh, if you hear the sound of your playing, like a recording, and you don't like it, what you don't like is your actual voice, and that's what you should sort of like. <laughs> like if, you're, if, you, if you hear something and it's pleasing to you, it's because it sounds like something that you think it should sound like, or you're trying to make it sound right. like. Right. Um, so having to listen to my own voice, whether it's a clarinet or a spoken word, is fucking excruciating. I mean, it's brutal to listen to your own voice. I don't do it a lot. Right. I don't enjoy it. Um, Are you... Right. My playing, uh, that's another story I've learned to like... Um, appreciate certain parts yeah, 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 of my yeah. sound without being like, this is great. I listened to just a minute of um, the new record before you came over, and that first piece, I, I just listened to the first piece. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's a very well-written, awesome piece of music being played by a great musician on a nice horn in a nice room. Like, it, everything is set up that, like, it just yeah. sounds good. It sounds like a yeah. treat. Yeah, yeah. That, that's easier. I mean, there, it's easier to take. There's a lot of cushion what do you like trickery or just... <laughs> no trickery you know it's just like a resonant sound world yeah you know as wind players we love a little resonance in our lives no i love a lot i mean i, I like practicing <laughs> unless it. you're josh rubin what do you mean he loves the driest sound in the driest room like yeah it's my nightmare but if i sounded he as good really as he it. did i probably would want that too <laughs> seriously he's really good at clarinet so good at clarinet like really good he's uh, really good he um yeah i don't know one of the reasons i like practicing in are this we on l- there yeah yeah hello hey uh <laughs> the reasons i like practicing in this stupid little room is that there's you no sound reflections yourself. yeah i that's the problem i want to try to trick out the room i practice in like our extra bedroom um because it's really boomy like the the concrete in the walls or whatever it's yeah, just yeah. like constantly back in my face so it feels good but i'm like what does my read really sound like in the world oh, really? like what does it really feel like yeah, it's, it's super... like singing in the bathroom or something yeah and it's yeah. not that extreme but it's in that level so i'm trying to figure out what to put on my walls i'm sure my neighbors would appreciate that too have you been dealing no with... but oh well you know no, nobody's ever said anything about the playing we have like neighbors upstairs with uh, sounds like 15 to 17 children um and right above you. <laughs> right above yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. So I'm fine with that. Like we have their number. The only thing that um I got pissed off at was there was something, some object that was like you hear, <laughs> dropped on the floor. I hear like that. This. It's so- <laughs> and it would be like random sporadic times, but always before eight in the morning. And I was was just like Whatever that object what is, is, someone that, in every apartment in this complex has one. Because when I lived across the street. What is that? I, I hear it. The, I hear constantly. it here. Constantly. And I don't hear... If I go into Do they like, give those toys out in the playroom well, here? I wonder if there's something in this apartment that's causing someone below me the same shit. Because I've heard it in every apartment in this complex. That's... It, it is my nightmare. So I sent a really <laughs> bitchy text. It was like seven in the morning. And I was like, I travel for work. I go home at 3 a.m. Like, I need to sleep. I was like, I know you have kids. That's totally cool. You can make noise anywhere, at any time, in any room. But, but like in the bedroom <laughs> before like maybe 11, because you know, touring, uh, just don't. Don't do it. You can't reason with people with kids, though. You really can't. I mean, I feel like that's a bargain that I could win, though. If there's a thing that, an object, 
just not to drop in that room. Like we could be such bitches about like the noise that they make. So not you know them. No, like uh, they're not like down home East River. Red, no, Red got no. They're new. They've renovated and okay. then moved in. Like they came in after we you. were first. Okay, good. Yeah, we yeah, were yeah, first. yeah, 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 yeah. So Red like met them because when they were doing renovations, like they fucked up the ceiling in the kitchen in our kitchen because there was a leak. And we they had to they gave us money to repaint or mm-hmm. whatever. So we have their number, but. Yeah, but they haven't complained, and the downstairs neighbors have never complained. There's no shared walls internally. Like, it's, right. it's a room. These walls are super thick. Super thick. If, you go, if I go out into this common area right here, like, yeah. like in the elevator, I can hear everything from everyone's apartment. And I know that if people are going through, they can hear me practicing. They can yeah. hear me, you know, like right. watching movies or whatever. Yeah. But I've never, I, I don't hear anything here. I hear the water. That drives yeah. me crazy. You hear that? Yeah. That drives you me You hear nuts. people flushing because the yeah. old toilets, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's fucked up because I like the sound of people practicing. It's yeah. relaxing to me. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a different tolerance level. Do we? Maybe. But I don't no, know. As musicians, like right. than normal people. But like, if I go to like, um, I was at a practice space in Brooklyn like a week ago, yeah. and it was one of these situations where there was like a rock band practicing a few doors down, and like I get so dark in that situation because they were like working on like a Chili Peppers cover. Mm. And it's like most you, inspiring, the most inspiring music, <laughs> but it's like, you're not even playing music. Like you're ruining what I'm trying to do in here and you're not actually playing music. You're doing something else and it sucks. Yeah. You're not making anything new. Right. But when I hear people like practicing scales on the piano yeah. or like working on long tones on the violin, like something about it, yeah. it's like really comforting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. It depends on the instrument. Like, if it's an oboist, I'm like, please fuck Shut off and the die. Shut fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, 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 it sounds like an old Jewish lady. <laughs> it's just bad. It's really bad. But do you, um, I mean, I have to assume you practice like several hours a day. Yeah, I mean, in the best of circumstances, when I have the time to do that, right. absolutely. And you've done that for, since, what, childhood? Oh, I guess so, yeah. I started when I was nine. On bassoon. So it's been 30, almost 30 years. But they don't make like... Like a kid bassoon. They, do they just started making one like five years ago. I want to get my hands on one because it's like three quarter size. For touring? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because I think it would make a weird time. I want to try one. I'm going to the silly International Double Root Society convention this have, summer. I, I don't I don't ever miss a year. Really? No. Oh my God. I so I'm because I'm sure there's a clarinet one. I yeah, avoid them like the plague. But I'm going this year because it's in Granada and that's an excuse to yeah. like go to like wild places in the world afterward if i can get someone to babysit my bassoon like want to go to algeria or something i don't know make it a right. fun adventure but i want to get my hands on one because it's called a tenoroon and it's three quarter size wow. and i think it goes higher it has a like a, a fourth higher uh-huh. maybe even a fifth so of course like there has to be a piece written for this but are they making quality instruments or are they just like shitty student models that I don't know. There's a there's big enough money in bassoon making. I mean, even a shitty plastic student bassoon is like six thousand yeah. dollars. So it's like buying a car, buying a goddamn bassoon. Yeah. And you can can you buy a used one, or is that just like yeah. a terrible idea? No, no, no. Mine's from the '30s. Like mine was really? used. Yeah. There's this area of, of this. Um, this is super nerdy. Like nerd alert. It's, yeah. It's called the instrument of the maker is Heckel. It's a German company, uh-huh. and most professional bassoonists play on Heckels, with some exception. Um, but there's an area before 
a time before World War II, and they're called like pre-war instruments. Yours is that? Yeah. It's Do you like, know who owned it previously? Yes, Lester Davis of the Minnesota Symphony. Really? He died. He had it for 30 <laughs> years, and his son was like, I got this thing. It was in the closet, and he, it wasn't even his main instrument. Like right. He just had, he was a collector, like a hoarder of heckles, which is a fucking expensive habit. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fucking creepy thing to me. <laughs> yeah. So if you listen to, have you heard recordings of him? No, because like he he played like third bassoon and contra. In, oh, because like, he wouldn't even be able to no, pick it out anyway. No, there was he he like. I think if I heard if I had a clarinet from the '30s and I could listen to a recording of someone playing, it'd be trippy. It, it would. Cre- I it mean, violinists that happens to them all the time because yeah, they have but they're these fucking creeps anyway. They are creeps. They have these like <laughs> historical relics that they fuck around with, and then they pick up a new one. I don't know that somebody. I, I won't say who it was. I mean, I don't think he gives a shit. But like, I was with him hanging out with a violinist uh, like years, like ten years ago. We'd done a gig at the Stone. Yeah. And this violinist was playing at the time an instrument that was like $300,000 or something. Oh and it, it was on God. loan to him, like long-term loan. That's why they're so freaks about going to the bar or whatever. Like, But here's the thing. We got to the bar, and oh, no. it was like in a soft case, and he just kind of like threw it down where like, you know, you like you put your boot oh, up like no. at the bar. And then we went to go oh, play foosball, no. and I was like, hey, do you want to like bring that over to the Yeah. Just to make it shit. Wow. Usually they're super anal about it. Usually, well, I mean, we know another My guy f- who left his on the G train. Oh, do we? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a friend who left theirs uh, in a bar when we were on tour, and we were gone for like 30 seconds and went back, and it was gone. Are you serious? Yeah. And they didn't nobody... get it back. It was shitty. I just heard a story today about um, one of those stores that's not there anymore on 48th Street, one of those woodwind stores. It yeah. It might have been like Roberto. Roberto's is still there, but it was one of those stores. They're a dying breed, though. There's no Roberto's is either. the only one left. Yeah. We went, I went to Jersey today for a horn repair guy. Oh, God. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but these, these, two, these two kids come in. They're like punks, you know, and they yeah. have these two violins. And they say, hey, how much can we get for these? Oh, so immediately this, this guy knows that he has like a unique opportunity. Yeah. And he says, you know, I'll give you 250 bucks each. They took it right away. And instantly, you know, I think he called like... There's like hotline. Uh, you know, the call very quickly. I forget what group it was. Some string quartet that was traveling, you know, and right. they got their horns back. And oh, Jesus. So is that just like an ethical thing? Like if you own a pawn shop? I think it, so. You just like give them money and, and trust that like the owners will give you like twice that. I mean, like, pawn shops probably not, but like in a real instrument shop. Absolutely. Oh, it wasn't a pawn shop. No, this was like, this was like, um, you know, a woodwind store. But they were saying pawn shops like search for stolen instruments although they like make no serial numbers right right i mean there's i did i did for a minute um when i was like 20 i worked at my friend's record store every once in a while and i learned this really interesting thing which is you can learn what the going price of like the smallest hit of crack because these guys would come in (laughs) there's an app for that (laughs) there is an app for that which is like these guys would come in and they would have like like a scratched up spin doctor cd you know (laughs) And they would want seven dollars for it, or they would have like a whole book of someone's CDs that they'd like busted out of someone's car, and they would want seven dollars for it. Yeah, how grim is that? It's grim. It's grim. It's really grim. Wait, so you went to Oberlin with Claire and Josh and all those? I did. Yeah, you knew them then. I knew them back then. So you were like there at the beginning of us. I was there and not involved. I was probably really stoned really <laughs> Oberlin seems like a good place to be really stoned all the time um yeah I was also like in a studio where my teacher was a super traditionalist uh-huh. and was like what is this new music and I was also like not sure 
about the bassoon, not sure about being a musician, mm. and I wasn't super dedicated to the idea of that. I was also a double degree student like Josh. What were you studying? I was studying English Lit and Women's Studies, now these Gender are like, Studies. All three of these things are how you make your millions. Yeah, Bassoon, totally. <laughs> women's Studies. And- no, the story is that I went into my high school gal- guidance counselor's office, and this was 1996 in Plattsburgh, New York. Are you from Platts? You from New York? I'm from New York. From Plattsburgh. From Plattsburgh. Yeah. Well, I grew up in a tiny town in the Adirondacks, like until I was like what ten. Town? It's called Wanakina. It's a it's sixty people. Okay. Uh, it's in between Star Lake and Cranberry Lake. Uh-huh. If we're uh-huh. gonna zoom out a little, yeah. it's between Tupper Lake and Saranac Lake. Right. Off Route Three in the Adirondacks, like this tiny little. Right. Was rugged. Yeah. Rugged as fuck. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I look real like citified, but like uh, you know, I learned how to from like sticks. tie a tent. Hitch yeah, with my I mean, teeth when I was yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but this was in Plattsburgh, and I went in my guidance counselor's office, and obviously this was before the internet and any sort of like connected server. So they basically just had a database of college information on like a computer. So it uh-huh. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't wired to anything except. So I did a little search of my two top interests, which were bassoon performance and women's studies. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was like, do, 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 do. and there was one result, and it Oberlin. was Oberlin. Yeah. And I was like, what is this place? I hadn't ever heard of it. You know, my parents, they were super supportive, but they didn't really know anything about music or conservatories. Did they or, go to college? They went to college, yeah. yeah but, they, you know, my dad, like, they, they just weren't musicians sure. or, like, didn't do... Anyway, so... <laughs> and then the dot matrix printer printed out like 60 pages. It was like the brochure, you know, like <laughs> three hours later, I had this stack of like, you know, with the little things yeah, with on the, the, the side. The holes on the side. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I brought it home and I was like, hey guys, to my parents, I was like, I read about this college in Ohio. And they were like, oh, great, Ohio. And I was like, and it's this much X amount of money. And they were like, oh, wonderful. Um, but I started reading and I was like, this place looks really cool. And I went to visit there and I was like, this is amazing. But I almost didn't go because it was so expensive. And there it's was like, right. oh my God, it's so expensive. Yeah. And there was a private school, oh, not a private school. The SUNY Purchase was like my backup. And I got in and they had offered me a full ride. And I was like, well, I could go to school for free. And my parents, like, um, they're really cons- conservative people. Uh-huh. But, but, like also very supportive yeah, in strange yeah. ways and yeah, understanding yeah. without understanding. And they were like, okay, yes, but Oberlin's offered you scholarship and we can get more loans and blah, blah, blah. And they were just like, you're a weirdo. Oberlin's weird. Like you should go to that. Place. I mean, cause some people would have said you're a weirdo. This place is really fucking weird. Let's try right. and get you like <laughs> okay. on a different right. path. Let's not encourage <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, go yeah. to this safe SUNY school. So I'm, I feel really grateful to them for just being like, well, like the money will happen. You know, I'm still in debt yeah. from Oberlin. Sure. Sure. <laughs> it's like, a, it's, it's not a shocking thing to say out loud, but it really should be, you know? Yeah. I mean, I saw this, <laughs> I saw an interview with this woman last night who is like, um, an airline pilot who, you know, accrued something like, you know, eighty thousand dollars in yeah. student loans, and by the time she pays it off when she's like ninety, it will be like half a million dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just—it's it's so fucked up. It is. But like, if I think about my life now, it's that was worth any amount of money. I yeah. Mean, because all of 
the closest friends and musical collaborators that make up my life now, most of those relationships were built yes. at, at that place. There's something I, I, you know, I didn't know what Oberlin was until 10 years ago, <laughs> probably. Yeah. But like, you know, in New York, if you're a musician and you run around in these different circles, like you encounter people, you're like, oh, that's a Berkeley person and that's an NEC person yeah. and that's a, a Mills person. There's this group of these little like, you know, little and I think class. far and away, and I've said this a million times, the people from Oberlin are, like, are my favorite people and whenever I meet someone where I'm like, I don't know where the fuck you would have gotten that idea, <laughs> like it must be an Oberlin person, whether that's like Peter or, I yeah. mean, Peter Evans, like, how do you create something like that, yeah. you know, or Claire or you or Josh or, you know, yeah. Matt Malin or like all these fucking psychos. Super psycho place. Yeah. Did you, I mean, so wait, wait, wait. At at Oberlin, you were studying with someone who wasn't so sure about contemporary music. Oh or, yeah, really? Oh for sure. They, yeah. And Oberlin, I mean, we had the amazing contemporary music ensemble with Tim Weiss, and he sort mm -hmm. of um, fostered Eighth Blackbird, and then after that, Ice. Okay. And so there was a really big um, community around that already. And being in the contemporary music ensemble was revered. It was like as shiny as being in the top orchestra if you were into that you know mm -hmm. you could sort of like kind of choose pick and choose and i think now it's actually required and there but but it was a great way to sort of get your feet wet for me it was totally new i had no idea about anything mm -hmm. before I, I i sort of went there but i also didn't really know claire and, and josh that well when i was there they were a little bit of, older than me mm -hmm. Um, one year and two years respectively and so I like knew that Claire was doing this really cool thing and I was at that first concert and we're oh, in the really? concert hall I was there and it was amazing and so I was like really into it and appreciating it but I also didn't see how that would include me I was like unsure about even becoming a musician and I felt yeah. like they were all serious and they all had sure. all their shit together and I sure. was like I don't really know I have all these things I want to do like maybe you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I was like a big super fan of Ice when it formed and I was always like really closely following what was happening in Chicago. And then I went off and did all these other things. I was like convinced I was going to be in an orchestra. Yeah. And uh, you, you sort of landed on like, I'm going to make my living. Right. And it wasn't like, I really want to do this thing. Like I have to, but I was like, this seems like the least worst way to like, it seems like a pretty make safe sure bet. that yeah. I get a paycheck and I'm also making music. And so I did like, I, I, you know, I had this real moment of like, am I going to quit? What am I going to do with my life? At the end of Oberlin, I'd been there for five years and oh, really? was sort of like ready to, it was the d double degree thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it I was. mean, <laughs> <laughs> You know. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it takes a minute. <laughs> yeah. And like my last year there I was mostly finishing up um academic credits. Yeah. You know, my other degree. So I wasn't practicing all that much. And I think my teacher and I were at the point where we're like we both knew what what was gonna come out of the other person's mouth. You know, it wasn't it didn't feel like a productive relationship anymore. So I was like, huh. okay. So I was like, I'm in debt. I can't pay for grad school. And the conservatory thing is kind of bumming me out. But I'm in a, for grad school, I was like, I'm either going to do this one thing, which was this fellowship at University of Texas at Austin with this radical, I know, but Austin is cool. And this uh, teacher. Right now it ain't so cool. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. There's this, but this is, you know, yeah, this yeah. was a long time ago. This teacher, Kristen Wolf Jensen, who I, admired a lot and I was like but they they were offering like a lot of money 
beyond to, tuition, yeah. like a paid like sort a stipend, of stipend, kind of, yeah. right? Which is pretty rare sure. in music. It's common in other fields. And then I was going to look into pursuing a degree for literature or something else, um, somewhere completely mm-hmm. different. So I was at this real turning point. I was I was committed to quitting um, if this one thing didn't work out. It was my sort of litmus test. I was like, well, if this one thing doesn't happen, then maybe I'm meant to not do this thing. So I got the thing. Mm-hmm. And I went to Austin and actually like got good at the bassoon. In Austin? Yeah, because it was the first time I wasn't, I didn't have to do 50 million things. So I didn't have another degree. I was just focusing on music. So I just practiced like five hours a day. Yeah. And my teacher was like rigorous. She was rigorous. But that's what I wanted. She like kicked my ass. And so that's when I really learned how to play. And again, it wasn't super focused on new music. I was involved in the new music ensemble at UT. Dan Welcher was running it. I don't know. He's a composer. Uh-huh. And um, Kevin Putz, who's also a composer, was like involved. He was teaching there. So we did a lot of cool stuff. We did a lot of collaborations there that, that were really enjoyable for me. But mostly that was about just like honing in on learning how to do this awkward it's a weird instrument. It's a really awkward yeah. instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Instrument. And it's it's it seems like a very unforgiving instrument. Yeah, it's really hard to not just sound shitty. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, Nathan, we talk about this all the time. We kind of joke about this. Is Nathan Davis, who's a nice and composer, mm-hmm. percussionist. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote a piece for me on my first album. And the way that he composes is he gets his hand on an instrument and just like sees what it does in a beginner's hand and like goes to the raw places. Okay. And on the bassoon, that's multiphonics. Like multiphonics, you you picked up a bassoon right now. I mean, maybe you're really good at the bassoon. And, well, no, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not. I tried it once. Yeah. <laughs> but most people, if they hadn't ever played it before, what would come out is multiphonics. It's okay. a sag. It's so easy on the bassoon. It's really hard to just play one note. Like yeah, really, like, yeah, yeah, beautifully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and control. So he wrote a piece for all multiphonics. <laughs> well, there's this no, but there, there there is this whole like forest of multiphonics and this whole idea of what that looks like i don't know that was really fun yeah but but yeah the bassoon is hard and that time i just was like in boot camp for myself you know in texas in texas how long were you there just two years but i almost stayed i almost got stuck you know like i I austin i think is seductive in that way i was dating an indie rock guitarist oh really who ended up being a Dick. Of course, an you indie know, rock guitarist from but he was like Austin. So, of course, he was like dick. so sweet and shy that no, I was like, I was like, he's so they're in love with vultures. me. Like he would never cheat out. You know, it was like that. I was so young and stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were like together, and we just moved in together. And I, nothing had really. I had auditioned for a bunch of stuff, and nothing had really happened. So I was like, maybe I'll just stay another year, get my DMA, or like I don't know. And then I could just see, like I could just see the whole thing, yeah. like front porch babies happy hour starts at 3 p.m oh my god and then i got like a a thing that i'd gotten into the civic orchestra in chicago and i was like dude i gotta go i gotta fucking i love you but i gotta go yeah it was one of those like i could see it all laid out like i would i would have gotten stuck there probably like forever yeah and you know austin's a wonderful place it's great it's just like but if you know that you need something different, yeah. uh, so, something like that, you know, it, it, there's a lot of places. Athens, Georgia is like that. Los Angeles is like that, where like you might look up and you're like, holy fuck, like where did like yeah. five years just went by? Totally. 
New York isn't like that. New York is a, is a pain in the ass every single day. You know exactly how much time it's Yeah, no, I mean, every it's hour like... of the day feels like, yeah, I should be slashing my wrists. <laughs> You're notching <laughs> it in skin. <laughs> like, like, there's something I, every I ounce envy of... about that. Like, just to go completely on a thing, but like, I was having a friend, uh, a talk with a friend the other day about what jobs I've had in my life. That, yeah. Like, I think I enjoyed the most. Yeah. And one of the jobs that I enjoyed the most was I worked at, in the AD, AV department at this school that I went to for a minute. And it was like, it was like okay, what did you like about the job? I was Were like, there was carts like, that you wheeled in with the yeah, AV? Yeah, it was like, you know, it was like me and three other like snarky dudes, like <laughs> sitting around drinking coffee, talking shit, and just like letting the day pass by. Yeah. You know, like a hardware store or something. Yeah. And, you can have that more easily outside of about that. There is. Yeah. There is. Yeah, totally. Um, did I tell you about that time that I was in the Jacksonville Symphony and I almost got stuck there? I, for, I forgot you lived in Jacksonville, which might be the darkest place on earth. That was fucking dark, dude. I've never, like, I'm not a person, I, I'm like, I'm a positive person. Mm-hmm. No, yes. no value judgment in that. Like, I don't have, I don't have times where I, like, get super dark for a long period of time, but I... What, that was such a dark, like deeply, deeply dark, like some really bad shit went I, down. How much of it was you just being like, oh, fuck, I'm in Jacksonville. Is this where I'm going to be for the rest of my life? Oh, my God. Yeah, all totally. Yeah, yeah. Like it was all of the things. Like, it was if like, you didn't have that, though, do you think you would have enjoyed your time there? No. Jackson, no, definitely not. <laughs> Jacksonville's like the one of the worst places probably on the planet. Really? I don't know. I it's, mean, it's just like the vibes are so fucked, and like half the orchestra was like Republican. And like, yeah, I mean, look, you can't. But aren't... like, you're, I'm, you're just like fucking yourself. Yeah. I don't know. In so many ways, I just, it just didn't reconcile. And the people there, I don't think they'll listen to this anyway. <laughs> I, there's a few. There's a few. <laughs> I, I, there's a few. I'm in contact with some Jacksonville people. <laughs> there's a few. I just feel like the the vibe wasn't collegial. Like people there were resented that I was a woman and much younger than them, yeah. and really tried to make my life very hard. Sure. Uh, and I was like, well, that's cool, but can we also like just make some music? Like, are we interested in just doing this thing? Like, if we're here, like, let's fucking do it. And they, yeah. everyone was just like, TikTok, time for a break. I don't know. It was so dark. And I, I I made some really good friends that I do keep in touch with and I'm very grateful for them. But uh, it was, oh my You know, I, I was having this conversation with my friend yesterday, a, a different clarinetist who's you know, also amazing. Like he was telling me about all these like recent vibing stories of like other musicians just fucking vibing him. And I haven't been vibed in a, and maybe I have and I just didn't pick up on it. Sure, which I'm is great. usually a space cadet. Yeah. But musicians can be like, so vibey, so and vibey, especially orchestra. especially in that world. Oh my god, it's kind of hilarious, but it's mostly just like really dark. It's really dark, and also, I mean, people are like that so much about it's maybe it's getting less, or maybe I'm just like tuned out to it now, too. But the whole like, oh, you play new music, probably because you can't play Brahms beautifully, you know, there's that whole uh-huh. thing, especially in yeah, like conservatory land. It, it absolutely How is an fuck academia. How can that still be a thing? Like, and I you, have... Sorry, go ahead. No, I have these kids that I work with. Anyone that like reaches out to me like gets whatever they want. Like free lessons, <laughs> like mentoring, totally, coaching. Because yeah. I'm just so geeked out that someone like knows who I am and cares about what yeah, I think. totally. <laughs> I'm just like awesome. So I have these kids that I work with like all the time who mostly find me because they're like, oh my God, you commissioned this piece. I want to play it. How does that happen? And mm-hmm. I'm like, woo. Like I was just in Bo- 
Baltimore helping this kid play a live version of Felipe Lara's Metafagace with seven bassoons at a senior recital in yeah. like a Peabody. Yeah. You know, like what the fuck? But, you know, from hearing from him and his teacher, who's like very conservative dude and like was really against the idea of doing this piece. And but he also did Edgar Guzman's piece, which is like a fucking etude on like a low B flat multiphonic right. with static. You right. <laughs> but like there is still that serious and like getting kids to apply for ICE's summer program, which is insane as instrumentalists, composers, it's easy, but instrumentalists. They have to, a lot of them have already decided at like 22 that they want to like pursue new music or do something different. Like there's still this really big like, like as if this isn't all the same thing that we're trying to do. It's, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, any, all traditions have, you know, dogma and orthodoxy and like, you know, outdated ideas. And then, you know, within those ideas, there's like perfectly good reasons like yeah you should right. probably learn to play a c major scale before <laughs> you know you just start blowing your guts yeah, out you know absolutely but um there is just there's it just hit this point though where it's like i can listen to an ice recording i can listen to you know uh, i don't know let's say like a ice playing a piece by zorn yeah it's like every step of the way the integrity is there like you can't argue with it like the yeah. int- intonation check it's yeah. great you know like technique uh phrasing like it's all there yeah yes it's not you know it's not bach or something that's you know from the you know the canon but it, it's like it's it might be though but it's something that's like so <laughs> objective it's so yeah. like, to me it's so objective totally the, the the integrity and the quality of the yeah. piece and the performance and this is clearly not something that like some little kid who just got started yeah. could play this is really but th- i mean this is the moment this is where we are in our country this is where we are in like the music world this is where we are in every moment where the people who are in power are so terrified of becoming insignificant well, okay so how much in the <laughs> classical world do you think like because one thing that's really distinctive about a lot of the musicians and ensembles that exist now particularly you know in places like new york and i'm talking about ice and talea and and wet ink and and all these wonderful yeah. musicians is that you guys work with living composers yeah. who you know the final period isn't placed yet on their output you know they're, they're evolving as well so it's it's like there is someone there who could say no you're playing it wrong you know let's let's evolve this piece beyond the page or to say actually this doesn't work so great what if we change this or nip this or tuck this but i mean like bartok isn't here to say you're playing it wrong <laughs> that's true you know like yeah. he's not like uh, these guys aren't here to say you're playing it wrong yeah. so if there's an objective understanding of what's right yeah then i can do that and never be questioned yeah totally i don't know i don't even know what that world is like <laughs> it's fucked up dude i mean really like i'm thinking about it from so many angles right now because i'm involved in like many well you recently yeah taken on a lot of new responsibility it's true yeah uh as artistic director with ross carr of ice which is you know i didn't understand how much my email inbox would explode really no it's fine it's it's a lot of work it's it's but it's not different from what i've been doing i mean i've been in ice for 10 years before this Yeah, yeah, yeah and i'm gonna give it five in this new job sure vocally and publicly yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah because i think that's you know as a collective like no one should be in power after claire's transition out like i don't think anyone should stay for right. longer than five years well, also, I mean, you, for their mental health yeah. and also yeah. the health of the organization mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh yeah it's it's amazing being able to work for my colleagues and with my colleagues in this new way 
but I'm seeing this in so many different places. So I'm involved in this level at ICE, but I'm also taking on like help with some like fledgling organizations that I really believe in just in the, yeah. like, sort of a mentorship role. But there's so much, like you see so much of this pushback from so many places. And I, I just think it's fear. I think it's in curiosity, mm-hmm. but deeper than that, it's a mm-hmm. real fear. It's a fear of like, if I can't be the expert in my field anymore because I know only the the dead people's music, then I'm done. Right. So the natural reaction is to be like, that's bullshit. That's for people who sound shitty and can't get an orchestra job because their sounds are too raw or whatever you want to, whatever like slight, like vibey undercutting, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. adjectives that people in that world use, like, that shit's dark and that's deep. It is dark, but it, it's it's like I think on some level or on like a very apparent level, like I'm only becoming kind of aware of this recently. It's like one thing we're all, or I think we're all kind of concerned with is relevance. Yeah. And like even if, you know, totally. you're just like Joe Blow, the improviser who shows up at the back of the bar to play, it's like <laughs> relevance is still a question. And, yeah. Sorry about that. That's fruit fly. <laughs> but when you see how quickly like someone, or like, wow, I didn't even see that coming. That guy might take my thunder. It's like, I, I can see why people would cling to yeah. It's their life's work. Totally. I mean, it's totally understandable. We're all animals. We want to protect mm, what's ours fuck. in our little corner of the world. But it's it's also like a really small way to be in the world. And I, I think, think so. at the end, very sad and small. I don't know because so many people are doing such interesting work. There's so much out there, and I think if we're not championing championing the work of one another, like uh-huh. no one else is going to do that. Institutionally, right. it's not going to come from the top down saying like, look at this. There's like all these people making all these cool things and doing all this cool shit. And it's not in academia or in orchestra world, but it's still cool. No, that like actually has to come from all of us supporting one another. The bottom up. Absolutely. Yeah. No change like that ever comes from the top. I've just been working on so much. Like I just Skyped into the class of my, like one of my teachers when I was, 10 uh-huh. at SUNY Potsdam and she's still like making changing the world and she was like this is crazy everything you said is so true like every other career is like totally othered and it's a consolation prize and we run into this so often like yeah. I was in the New World Symphony and they they throw around st- oh, stats like people who've won jobs who've left there like their baseball stats. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in all these people to like give talks and like do entrepreneurship uh, and they wonder why no one goes. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you're celebrating these things like it's that be all and end all. And but, you know, by I, totally othering that, it's like, this is the consolation prize. Like if you're not good enough to get a job, you're going to have to like do something f- for yourself. <laughs> and that's like, <laughs> oh, this God, the worst how thing boring. imaginable. <laughs> right? When did, when did we, we become so fucking precious? Well, the thing is, you and I, like people like us or people, you know, like this is what's really got me depressed lately is that we are so out of tune, out of harmony with the way that most people and most things actually work. Because the truth in the matter is what most people are concerned with are those like very tangible things of like clicks, likes, stats. You, exactly. It's enough to make you blow your brains out. But as a matter of fact, like, like I, this is, I mean, I, I was kind of saying that in the kitchen earlier about like, you know, that the average diet of most people is just like, it's just flour, sugar. So, Bad. Maybe I'm going, I don't know. I, you know <laughs> fuck this. Like, so wait, did you move to New York with <laughs> Claire and Josh, like at the same time as an organization? Um, no. So Claire 
and ice kind of moved to new york in like 2007 i think in the early part of that year and i was in florida in new world at that time i know so many years i spent four years of my life in florida four adult years four adult years where i had control over my destiny i chose to spend in florida um let's gloss over that it was fine and you know what but but i almost didn't go to florida because i was in chicago in the civic but like Civic was whatever. It was like three concerts a year. It's like five thousand dollars. You know, it's not. It's not a gig. It's not right. something you can live on. Right. And I moved there. Like, uh, I sold my car to have enough money to move there, and I found some roommate. Thank God, who didn't murder me on like roommates. dot com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she had like a toddler and ran her own business, and it was a closet like in her apartment, like big enough for a bed. Uh-huh. And I was like, cool. It was four hundred dollars a month, and I was like, I can do that. And she's like, you can also work for me in my pearl store. And I was like, amazing, done. Pearl. Pearl. She sold like uh-huh. <laughs> pearl, like literal pearl necklace. Really? <laughs> Other jewelry. It's like not also a thing that, like people wear anymore. In Chicago, they do. They wear pearl necklaces. Oh my god! Yeah, it's you know Chicago's like a little Chicago's more. the fucking best, man. I like it. There. I know. So, but I'm saying like I moved there with nothing, and within three months, I got really lucky. There was like a bassoonist that had appendicitis in some opera, and somehow somebody got my name. And it was like the concert that night and it was like an hour away and they were like, can you be here? And I was like, totally, I got nothing to do. And so I ended up playing this concert and I sat next to Dominic Johnson, who I love, who's um, a violinist and violist in Chicago and literally like the people connector of the universe. Yeah. Like meeting him was just like, okay, great. And then within two more months after that, I had so many gigs, like I was turning things down. In Chicago? In Chicago. I was making plenty of money really and also like rent was free because i would like work for this woman and then like who didn't murder you he, she didn't murder yeah. me we're still friends she's okay, fucking cool. awesome yeah, yeah, yeah. shout out to sherry <laughs> uh if you're out there but um so it was a really hard decision for me to leave and move to miami because i was like i'm already doing the Wait, thing miami for new worlds right it was after this one year in chicago because you know I, there were people in the orchestra and civic who were like living in the suburbs because it was cheaper or whatever and like i don't know they didn't do anything else other than play a concert like once every two months i was like fuck is wrong with you they yeah. were broke and sad and missing home or whatever and i was just like i felt really lucky because i had been able to make I'm also like resourceful and I'm like, if I, I've done that every time I've moved, like I've had no money mm-hmm. and I've just like figured it out. And I realize now how like terrifying that should have been, but I was just like, well, this is going to happen, you know? Anyway. So by the end of like nine, after nine months, I was like doing really well in Chicago. Like I had, I had a professional woodwind quintet I played in. Jeez. I played in like a whole bunch of orchestras. It just came together. It just all came together. Yeah. And so I was like, why would I leave? So I, I remember making this whole list of like pros and cons sure. and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I was like, well, maybe like I don't want to just freelance in Chicago forever. And I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Uh-huh. But I was like, maybe it's not this. I think it was like the whole unknowing part of it. And Man, wanting a year to- is such a short period of time. I know. Yeah. But I was already like, woo. So and I loved of- Chicago. And then I went to Miami. I was in New World and, you know... I was there for three years. In Miami. It's the worst place. I mean, good music, in my opinion, isn't going to come from nice places. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or, yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Like where everyone's just like. But it was all leading towards New York. Like I always knew I wanted to be in New York. I always knew I wanted to play with ice. Always in the back of my head. Like that was always there. And in 2007, Claire called me and she was like, we have the show in New York and we need a bassoonist and we haven't found anyone we like to play with here. Like come play with us. And I was like, absolutely. Like just on the show. Let's see, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just on the show. No promises. What was the piece? It was this piece by Chris Moore. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, he lives in Austin, Texas now, believe it or not. <laughs> I just did a master class down there last year, and we like, he's really into like, and it's not line dancing and it's not swing dancing, it's some other kind oh, of. Oh, it's uh, folk dancing or? Yeah, kind of like people, like the, the dudes that really do it really well, they're in cowboy boots and they barely move and they're like flinging these girls all. I don't know. It's Whoa. very. Okay. It's he- cool, it's very athletic. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Felipe and I were down there in Austin, he took us out and we went did whatever kind of dancing that was oh, that's cool it was great so you played this piece in new york and claire were you- so i played this piece in new york i was terrified and it was in the tenry institute in the west uh-huh. village uh-huh. and i was just like i was just blown away i mean sitting next to josh and claire and like everyone in that group it was a crazy hard piece and i didn't really like it to be honest sure but i i didn't understand it but I understood what was happening around me and like the crazy virtuosity, but also the generosity and the commitment. Uh It was the first real chamber music I felt like I'd ever played in my life. And I was just like, I don't know what this is, but this is what I want to do. Like, finally, it felt like, okay, fuck. Like, this is the kind of music I want to be making. I want to be challenged. I want to like have to figure it out. And I also like want to be challenged by the people I'm playing with in deep and new ways. And mm-hmm. I was. I mean, I felt like I could barely keep up, which is awesome. That's the best feeling in the world. It's the best feeling in the world. And I was like, okay. And so that became, I became like obsessed with yeah. like playing with Ice. And I was like, when are you going to ask me to join the group? Like, like after the gig? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Claire was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I, what was it? 2008, the next year, I was like, Claire was like, come move to New York. And she actually needed a roommate at the time. It was kind of perfect. Yeah. Because that was the most terrifying thing about moving to New York is like finding an apartment. Yeah. Like, uh, you got a place to land. Yeah, a group to immediately start playing with. So I said yes. But then two months later, I chickened out because I was broke and I didn't have another job yet, like an extra musical job, which I was like looking for, but I didn't really know anybody here. And that's when I got offered the job in Jacksonville. And so I went as like, it was like a one year position. And so I was like, Claire, I'm going to go, but like, I'm probably going to come back in the spring. Like, don't get a new room. Like we found someone to sublet. I was like, don't get a new forever roommate. And like, don't fucking cheat on me with another fucking bassoonist. Right. Like, I just need to go do this. I just, for some reason, like I had to put it to bed. Like I had to go do the orchestra thing just to like say that, it definitely wasn't, wasn't for, for you, me. even though I knew. You know what I mean? Yeah, but even sometimes you know, it's like you don't even trust your. In- most people, like most people, don't trust their instincts. And my friends who were like had orchestra jobs were like, "You fucking bitch! Like, go to you have a that's a job. It's real yeah. money." And I, I was very broke, so I was just like, "Okay, I'm gonna do this and just see what a season is like." And what was your favorite piece of music <laughs> that you play? Oh my god, are you kidding me? I don't even remember. Yeah. There was no, I mean, there was, there wasn't, it just didn't, for me, it wasn't a time where there was a lot of music making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I was just surviving. I got really skinny, like worked out a lot, you know. <laughs> Do you, I mean, like when did you enjo- start enjoying just listening to contemporary music? Oh, God. That's a good question. I think it depends. I mean, I, I, I don't enjoy listening to it as a rule, right. not live. Like, I don't really put on recordings that much. I mean, I'll listen to CDs, of course, that people give me at sure. their work. And, but I think I'm, we're so blessed to live in New York where there's so much shit going on all always. the time. Yeah, there's yeah. always something going on. So whenever possible, like, I try to consume new music live. Right. Because right. there's so much more. There's so much more to it. I mean, people are making amazing recordings today, too. So there's a lot that I enjoy consuming. But but for the most part, like, I really prefer to just be in the room and see people sweat and hear them grunt yeah. and, like, just be involved in all of the stuff that our bodies do and that is involved in performance that isn't just the sounds mm-hmm. that come out of your instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that's so exciting to me. And I learn so much from experiencing that like mm-hmm. that's amazing mm-hmm. it's also the i mean i get kind of bummed out like if it's not a nice room like if i go to um like miller theater to hear a concert oh. and i don't want to like shit on anything no, it's i like, love it, those guys but the theater yeah, itself but, sucks balls. yeah this it's not a great sounding room and it's like i hate feeling it's like okay i'm you know they have to 50 reinforce. feet away from the violinist but i feel like yeah. I'm a thousand miles away from that. I'm not yeah. getting it at all. But when you're right next to the instrument, you're right next to the instrumentalist, like you realize the power of what's yeah. happening. Like, totally. I mean, it's it's almost scary, you know? Yeah. And it took a long time to like let myself it just go those places as a performer. Yeah. Go to the ugly and the sweaty and the spitty and the grunty, like all of that stuff and just uh, not just peacefully coexist with it, but like let it sometimes take center stage because mm-hmm. that's what the piece demands. Mm-hmm. And I'm so interested in that going forward, like in commissioning like the works for the next album. Like I'm really interested in in our bodies as performers and what elements we can. I don't know. I'm still. It's mm-hmm. all still really new, but I'm yeah. really interested in movement and bodies and. We we move so much in a way that's unchoreographed and that's really natural. But but what if what would that look like if other layers were built into that and that were yeah part of a score and just the fact that we're all like incredible performers mm-hmm. and how can we use that beyond this instrument? You know who's been doing that really well is Colin Stetson. Yeah. He's, I listened to your interview with him. He's the fucking I really enjoyed guy, that. Man. He's a monster. I mean He's a monster and he does this whole trip where he like puts mics on his, you know, like on his throat. It's all like it's all mic'd up so you really hear like the mechanics of the person working with the instrument. Right. And, yeah. That it's, it's like, an animal. It's like listening to like, you know, like a horse or something. Yeah. It's crazy. That's awesome. He's yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. So you came here what 2007 well i so i 2008 officially yeah. is when i like yeah. moved back here something that's cool to me about about ice is that you guys work with a lot of the same composers like almost it's, it's almost like a band you know people like marcus <laughs> balter and like mario, mario diaz de leon and um felipe yeah like ashley yeah like people Anna. that you continue to work with and like get pieces from yeah 
I mean, has that been a thing? I mean, I'm dumb, so bear in mind. Like, has that been like a thing throughout history where people, like, particular groups work with the same composers I over mean, again? I think if you just look at, even in the scene in New York, for sure it's true. I mean, there's yeah. the composer, amazing composer collective of, you know, Michael Gordon and David Lang and right. Julia Wolfe, and they, they had, I mean, they started a thing, so obviously they're the ones sort of working in there. And then you have people who are more interested in, Glass and Reich and there, there's sort of like different pockets of, of people, uh, of groups that are interested in, and Talia really likes, you know, a lot of the super hardcore European mm-hmm. modernists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've tried to be really open at ICE, but of course there are people we love and that we come back to again right. and again for work. So I think we keep expanding but there are people that we've had long, long history with in, yeah. in terms of collaboration. Like Du Yun. Exactly. Like Du Yun, who Du-Yun. we went to Oberlin with. And were kids. We, like we were babies and we workshopped, we workshopped Angel's Bone, which she won a Pulitzer for. So. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of cool that relationship to me is just like endlessly fascinating of you know instrumentalists who can really play and have an ensemble who work with a living composer it's awesome <laughs> it is awesome like there's just like there's something about having the person there who yeah. is the end all be all authority on how what where it should happen well yes and uh so are we Right. You know, and yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge that relationship. It's like, yes, they come with the power and authority of sort of putting the thing on the page, but they also have the great, I mean, it's a great thing to be able to work with someone in the room and say, and for them to say, well, maybe, maybe this here's is another dead, possibility. Here's another yeah. possibility. And for that to be a real exchange, right. everybody wins. Right. Right. And everybody, like the best result comes out of that. And it's also really thrilling and really fascinating. Also pushes them as composers and it pushes us as performers. Like I've gotten so much better from composers coming to me and, and saying, can you do this thing? And the first instinct is always like, no, but I've learned to like tamp that down. Well, it's fucking weird because, like, despite the fact that the recording industry is in, you know, in the shitter, to me, serious music, music that, you know, truly, you know, is a matter of a a person, you know, diving deep within, spending time, coming back out with, you know, a realized idea, transmitting it to a group of people. Yeah. That, to me, like, that's done when there's a recording of it. Hmm. You know, like that's really when it's not when you like sign the score at the end. It's when you have, you know, and you were able to oversee the recording of it. That's when like you can really say to someone, this is what it was meant to sound like. If you've, you know, done everything to the best of your ability and correctly. I found these recordings of Debussy at the piano, you know, and it's like, whoa, I'm like hearing the. Was he a mumbler? (laughs) I love pianists and their mumblings. I I mean, obviously the recording was shit because it was from like 1913. Yeah. But. I, I don't know. There's just something like so rad to me about recordings yeah. happening, you know, within, you know, a couple years of the composition. Yeah. Well, and- then you can say like, actually, this is how WC played. Maybe his interpretation of his pieces is like wildly different from the way that an orchestra right. would play one of his works. Like maybe we're all doing it wrong. But isn't that like discovery? I mean, I still think like even even now when people are like these kids are playing these pieces, like they're never going to do it the way that I do it or the way that we worked on. And that's awesome. And that the piece, once there is that, you know, and sort of initial, like 
this is the way that this goes, that there can be so many different, different ways of being in that piece. Sure. And offering it. And the way that I interpret pieces uh, of people that are dead or that I didn't know, or I'm sure probably unintended things happen. Which you should be able to enjoy, I think. Yeah, it, totally. You know, it's like if you if you notate like a Coltrane solo. Yeah, you can say, and you look at it and you listen to it. You say, well, that's these aren't the same thing. <laughs> like he's not what he did. It's not just like you know a series of eighth notes. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's really you know what the magic of music when that happens. Yeah, it's 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 it, there's it, it can't. Be, I don't know. It's just like it, yeah. <laughs> do you like recording? You like making records? Oh God, I I used to really really. I hate it. It gave me so much anxiety. I think it was, I think I was still bound up in this world. I remember in a Jacksonville symphony, there were these huge microphones and like the thought of these things being recorded, even though no one would ever listen to these live recordings, gave me so much dread and anxiety. And for me, that translated to the recording process. Like I was like, it has to be perfect because somebody's going to listen to it and be judging me for X and Y and Z. And right. I was still sort of brainwashed by the whole conservatory world that, I mean, I'm still am in ways, but you know that like someone would hear that that entrance was like a little harsh or that my low E was sharp because that's a sharp note on the bassoon or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, any laundry list of things. So it took me a long time to sort of like relax, like shut the, that voice the fuck up mm-hmm. and like be really um, present <clears throat> and courageous mm-hmm. because a good recording is so boring if it's perfect. Like nobody wants a perfect recording. Right. That's bullshit. I don't right. want to listen to that. Right. I want to hear some junk. When you hear some- <laughs> but it's like different when it's it's you. Like I'm not as forgiving of myself. But even though the takes that I end up choosing oftentimes aren't the cleanest ones because right. there's some sort of energy there yeah, 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 that is like way beyond the page. Yeah. And that's what's powerful. And, you know, we, even I can hear that. Even sure. If, even if, uh, even if I don't want to. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even- but I've gotten, I've gotten better at like, you know, I'm going to send you something. So Mario and I just recorded <gasps> his piece. Uh-huh. Uh, and it is like a really raw sound. Like I have never approved of something going out that is so raw. Huh. But I actually advocated for that because I think it really matches the it's vibe of the, piece. of the piece. Yeah, it's so funny. Those these conversations we have about things that are so subtle and abstract, as like the colorations and sounds, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. they can be totally different, or the way that people talk about them can be totally different. I always have to remind myself of, and I don't know, like I leg- legitimately don't, every time this happens, I don't know what the answer is, which is like, if I'm doing something that is like very enjoyable or like satisfying as, as a musician in the moment, every once in a while I'm like, wait, do other people enjoy listening to this? Like am I, you know, cause there is that aspect yeah. of it of like, totally, even though I'm really getting a lot out of this, it might not be a shared experience. Yeah, and that you that then you have to say go fuck off to that voice because in that moment all that matters is your presence. Yeah, not anyone else's. Yeah, I don't know. I, like, <laughs> because right, because if you go away, then like for sure, what you're putting out there isn't going to be interesting. Right. I mean, I had this conversation with a friend, and this like he blew my mind with this, and I was like, thank you for fucking sharing that with me. Which was like, he uh, and you know he got this from 
I think Derek Bailey might have said this to him or something. Where, but you know, basically, like he's like he played a solo set and he asked like, "Hey, what did you think?" And he was like, "He sounds like you rushed through everything." Remember, you know, you're working through these ideas, and we're talking about improvised music. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Says, you're working through these ideas that you you've spent countless amounts of time with them. Right. You're just not presenting them to the audience. Yeah. So you rush through that thing in like 40 seconds. Yeah. You could have given it, you know, five yeah. minutes. Let them get comfortable with it. With that, you know. So it's one of those things where it's like you have to sort of. Yes. Recalibrate what's happening. Well, that's the generosity too of of performing. I think is allowing for that time lapse between your brain yeah. and somebody else's, and it's the same way with notated music. Sure. It's to really be like offering someone like a way in, whatever that is, and like inviting them to come with you instead of. But an I, th- assault. I think when we hear things like uh, <laughs> sometimes you know you're you. I like I like hearing people struggle. Yeah, and I and what there's a lot that I enjoy about it. I like hearing how they negotiate that struggle. Like, okay, you know, they're a little out of tune right now. Like, are they going to find their way back? Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, are they going to find the (laughs) breath to like finish the phrase? Are they, you know, oh, I could hear. Or with singers, you can really hear it. Yeah. Oh yeah, they sound like they're hungover. I wonder if they're going to pull it off. You know, totally. And we can all hear it in people that play the same instrument. And even if you don't know that you're hearing it. You're hearing it. Yeah. And I feel like if someone's, you know, a composer might be like, "You sound like shit." Like, let's redo that. I, I like the fucked up takes. Yeah. Yeah. It's more, I mean, it really is exciting. That's why people like live television, right? Because anything could happen at any moment. Like anyone yeah. could, because we're, we all like love to watch disaster, even if we don't like it to happen, you know, we're, yeah. all, we're like, we're kind of sadists in that way as humans. Like it's, it's, it's exciting that someone might fail or fall uh-huh. or whatever it is. That's why people watch snowboarding at the Olympics. I certainly did. Really? Yeah, I know. Why? Is it, <laughs> it's like bore you to tears? Oh, some of it. But the one where they're like doing all the flips and yeah. stuff. It's exciting. Yeah. Like maybe they'll fall. I don't know. I mean, that's that like that there's so much at stake in that way. Like that's what live performance is. Like there's so much at stake. Have you watched this guy? I'll, I'll send you a link. Um, Honnell, I think his last name is like, seems like Eric Honnell or something. He's mm-hmm. a free form rock climber. Oh shit! That stuff is insane. I, it, honestly, I mean, people have to kind of like want to die a little bit. Yeah, but there's also it's like it, <laughs> it it brings to mind like oh yeah, the purpose of life is to scale the heights and like <laughs> and to do things to that <laughs> that like you probably didn't think you could do. But you see this guy, he yeah. he goes up there. You know, he he plots it out first with ropes, but he goes up there with a bag full of chalk. And some fucking funny looking shoes, and he climbs these 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 um, land structures that are like. I mean, it's just it's insane. It but like, okay, here's the thing. I totally hear what you're saying, and I think that we as performers, like, we don't need to do crazy shit like that because that's what we do. Like every right. time we get on stage, especially with improvised music, uh-huh. it's like climbing without a rope, right? And you are fucking naked too doing it. It's like high noon. Like the stakes are really high. So I I mean I'm I think that's why I like don't feel like I need to go skydiving ever because that's like such that's such a general part of like what we do. I, I in just, our lives yeah but also like with that thing specifically because like my brother did that shit recently and I was like what skydiving like, yeah I, I just feel like you know like I'm gonna experience that terror when I'm dying like, at the moment <laughs> that I'm dying that ter- like, I don't want to experience especially it especially if it's from a plane crash you know what I'm saying though it's like when you yeah. get in a car accident and like there's that 30 seconds or 5 seconds where the car's out of control and you have no idea how this is gonna turn out yeah I, I, I want to experience that as little as possible yeah but that's like 
you know, that's the moment of taking a breath and like being there. And for that, for that rock climber who really knows his body and what he's doing, like that's not really different than, than what we do. Yeah. I mean, it looks really scary yeah. for someone that doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it is really scary, even if you do. Right. So are you touring a lot? I feel like every time I see you down on the corner, you're like getting into like an Uber to go to the airport. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was a really crazy fall um, and it will be a busy spring too. It's a lot of touring. It's a lot on the road. Do you like it? Um, generally, yeah. I yeah. like it a lot. I think that's, but you know, it's tiring and I think that's why I put sort of a five-year end goal on the directorship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, and I'll always play with the band. I'll never not play with right. Ice. But I think part of that is just to think about, like, someday, you know, we'll need another bassoonist. And maybe do I won't do... Do give out? Uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think anything does. Sure. But I think hopefully just that, like, I'll get too busy to do all the gigs. <laughs> like, we don't have another bassoonist. So I'm, like, literally doing everything. And there was no rep until I joined the group. Like, we just started commissioning, like, crazy. Yeah, Josh was telling me something the other day. Like, there was a year, he said, where he, like, there was something like 150 premieres. And yeah. it's just like, how it's do you... It's crazy. How do you even, like, wrap your head around it's that? It's crazy. Yeah. It's a lot. And sometimes it's too much. But then there's, like, I'm in town for two weeks now. And I look at all that I can get done. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can try do to, you like living down here where we live? I love it. It's like Sesame Street down I here. I love it so, it's so weird. much. It's so weird. It's so fucking kooky and like everyone is crazy. Everyone down here is nuts. It's n nuts, but I love it. Like you get in the elevator and you never know what's going to happen. And Steve Reich lives in my it's building. It's so fucking out. He bought like, the fucking apartment we wanted. <laughs> right, right, right. I killed him to this it's day about so that. It's so weird to me. And it will never not be weird to me. And I've I've been in this complex for like ten years. Before that, I lived you know just a few blocks north. Like okay. this is like kind of all I know. It's amazing for New York City. It's and amazing. It, <laughs> it's so. I mean, do you know like the characters of the neighborhood? I mean, not probably as well as you. Right. You know Vito or whoever. Yeah, Vito, I'll give you his number. I want and Vito. Lenny, so do you know Lenny? I don't know Lenny. Right. I know what's his name that painted our apartment. Joe Fody. Joe. Yeah. yeah Joe painted our. He's whole like the apartment. mayor. Of he's this. like the dude. You know the street behind you is named for his brother. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, you if know you, all the things. We, well, when you get on, if you ever take the 14A? Sometimes, you, but it's not right. part of my daily. If you go back behind the building that we're in, as where it turns onto Cherry Street, you'll yeah. see for like one block, it says, um, it's Robert Fody Way. His brother died in 9-11 oh, wow. as a firefighter wow. at the World Trade Center. Oh my God. So they named, because he had Yeah, there are two firefighters on my floor. And I'm like, well, that's great. Like, it's like they they came once when the gas somebody left the gas i don't know it was well you know. you know who else lives in your building who this is like a true celebrity is uh deb who owns sugar sweet sunshine bakery oh no way do you know deb i don't know deb but yeah, yeah. that's awesome she and so i'm gonna get to know deb deb is the nicest person she and her partner i didn't even made this connection before but they're like the claire and and rebecca of like the baked <laughs> goods world <laughs> God. For real. That's amazing. Yeah. And you guys still do shit at Abrams Art Center? We love it there. Yeah, we yeah. have like a residency there. Um like five times a year we're there playing shows and yeah. making work. It's a great place. It's an awesome place. They do super cool shit. Yeah. Do you have to go meet your friend now? Seven fifty two. No, I can I can push it till eight. I told him I would be there at eight oh seven. Yeah, they're gonna show up at your door at eight. Yeah, or like eight oh seven. Okay, well we'll we'll wrap it up. Thank you for talking. Yeah. This is rad. I'm so into it. Yeah, was, we went by super fast. I can't believe we were talking for like an hour. That's perfect. All right, thank you. Oh my God, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, that was Rebecca Heller. 
Did you guys enjoy that? I had a lot of fun with that conversation. She's um, she's a fun person to hang out with. And it's weird, you know, she's got a pretty nice balcony. And I always say, hey, you know, I should come over. Like, let's hang out, have a drink. Um, and I think I need to, like, pursue that more proactively. I don't have a balcony. I wish I had a balcony. When we bought our place, you know, we decided to get uh, a little more room on the inside. But, you know, I really wish I had a balcony. Go to RebeccaHeller.com. Check her out. Check out her new record. It's just exceptional. Listen, you hear that back there? And if you're around on April 3rd, get down to Roulette. Check it out. Um, Mario, I know for a fact, is putting a lot of work into this concert. And, you know, you will, you will be rewarded. That's it. Uh, hope you guys are okay. Sign up for the mailing list. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. I got a pretty good one for you next week. Um, yeah. Okay. Bye.